What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Dapper Villains Podcast. I am Dana Bluen, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jay Such Dave. Jay, what is going on, brother? I'm very good, Dana. How are you doing, man? Good, man. You're looking sharp today, Jay. You're looking... Hey, we have a... We have a very important guest. This is my uh, latest suit that uh, I made. We have a... a Someone who has been mentioned on our podcast more than anyone else. Many times. Yep. yep. He's very important to my career, too. So... Articles of style. big day it's a big day for me huge day for us big day for us before we get into the interview with dan though guys do us a favor subscribe to dapper villains podcast wherever you get podcasts itunes google play spotify check out our youtube channel we put the videos up there as well so the podcast in video version and we are working on other content that will make its way up there maybe in the post-covid world we don't know but someday i promise you jay and i may not be naked in those videos may not (laughs) Not definitely not, but may not. With that being said, Jay, let, let's get right into this, man. I'm excited to talk to Dan. Dan Trapanier, man, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the Dapper Villains podcast. We, re- we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So in case anyone out there doesn't know, which everyone who listens to this show should know because about half our guests have mentioned you uh, wow. during their episodes, could you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I hope that was good stuff they were saying. Um, yeah, I was I was one of the first menswear bloggers, which is probably why a lot of people brought up my name. I was early in the game. Uh, I started a men's fashion blog in 2009 as a hobby, and uh, it kind of grew from there. I, I lucked out and I won Esquire Magazine's Best Dressed Man in America. That was my sort of claim to fame, and I got a lot of boost of traffic from that. Esquire wrote an article about me, and it kind of, was taken off a little bit this is before you know instagram and influencers and we were all just kind of figuring it out so sold ads for many years did the sponsored content thing and then uh four years ago got sick of selling ads and transitioned into uh, a product-based business and what we do is basically reverse engineer the in-person bespoke process and try to apply that online uh, so there's no self-measuring and we're actually doing real fittings, real human reviewed fittings with try-on garments uh, for customers all over the world. So I'd like to start out with that sort of transition that you had from, you know, blogger, content creator to actual clothier to selling products and like you said, reverse engineering the process of mm-hmm. the fit. And And how did that idea come about and how has it evolved over the four year period? Uh, well, the idea was I kind of always knew that I didn't want to do the advertising thing. Um, that was always very frustrating, right? And I think a lot of people struggle with this where they have a point of view, they have kind of a tone of voice and, and uh, you know, they have their kind of brand, but in order to make money, they have to change their point of view or their message for another brand. So you're basically talking for hire, right? So you know, I have so many brands that, hey, we don't, we don't want you to use this photo or you got to say Calvin Klein four times or, you know, we don't really like you, you swore in this article. We know that's against the Paul. It was just really obvious to me that in order to grow a brand and be known for something, you couldn't just like flip and flop your message all the time to make money. So this is a really bad business model, you know. Um, and while I was blogging, I was working for Bespoke Taylor in New York City. And I was learning myself. I had gone back to school to learn menswear design and tailoring while I was apprenticing. So I was just getting hit with so much information about the technical side of menswear. Hmm. And I was just a regular guy, right? I was a farm, grew up on a farm, played basketball. So I was learning this stuff as I was writing it. So my blog was really like about fabric, about fit. Here's what I learned in the shop today. Check this out. And naturally, the people who were reading the blog, they wanted to purchase the products that we were photographing. Hmm. So that was, it was kind of like, I don't like the business model and the customers are asking for something I can't sell to them. So then naturally, we started to like review everything online, right? And er, this is early, right? So like there was Indochino out there. There's a couple Indochino knockoffs. And what we learned was that, you know, the 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 online custom market was all basically tech guys who were trying to create like a scalable business. I didn't really know anything about fashion. It wasn't really about fashion. It was about a service 
basically connecting the customer to a factory, right? So and they came up with a series of videos. Here's how you measure yourself, blah, 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 blah. And we did that. We did that with every company many times. We had our friends of different body sh shapes do it. And it was always just so disappointing, you know? And, and the customer service was virtually nothing. It was like, if it's bad, we'll remake it. Um, so we learned that, you know. are lucky. They'll remake it if, if you're lucky. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fight, right? It's a fight. Like, yeah. they're, all, they're only in it for the money. So it's all about the margin. Mm -hmm. And then the garment mm -hmm. sucks, right? Because, yeah. because the fitting process is so inconsistent, they end up yeah. remaking garments, like, in some cases, 30 40% remakes, which is insane. Wow. So they have to not, they have to not make money on a remake, basically, right? Um, so the garments is it's a four hundred dollar slapstick garment that's probably made for twenty five bucks, a cheap you know polyester blend fabric. This is again, it's gotten a little bit better, um, but it's still there. There's no sense of actually visiting the tailor, right? That was the big when I say reverse engineer. That's what we say. Why is visiting a tailor in person? Like you go to Savile Row, you go to New York City, or whatever. It's such a good experience, right? Like they do everything for you. They serve you a whiskey, they talk fabrics, they look at your skin tone, talk about your lifestyle, they do all your measurements, all your fittings. They make, you don't have to know anything. Uh, whereas online, it's the opposite. It's we don't do anything for you, but here's how you can do it yourself. Good luck. Uh, so we Yeah, but I, I guess like the, the word tailor is where, um, where um, like, okay, so if you go to a shop, chances are you're going to a clothier, like in New York City, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's where like the whole online experience would lack, which is somebody to actually talk to you and understand and interview you. And, mm -hmm. and so how do you bring that online? And um, how do you not lose the soul when you bring that online? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it, right? So um, what we learned in person was that most appointments were the exact same, right? It was, it was the same line of questioning. You got to fabric, you got to price, you got to measurements, you got to fitting. It was really the same questions being asked over and over again, right? So what we try to do is take the best parts of e-commerce and combine them with the best parts of in-person bespoke, right? Like e-commerce is better than in-person when it comes to things like showing a finished product, right? Like selling a swatch is very difficult, but I can make the garment, shoot model, shoot it 10 ways, show you the inside, show you everything you need to know about that garment, right? Similarly, I can answer most of your questions up front to a table. time you're calling us, we have like most of the information you you need to know. So, like when we first launched, we were saying, "Oh, that question came in again." Question, right? So now, when we get a question, it's very very specific to that customer. So the marketability and the visuals and the experience online can actually be better in that way. Sure. You can't shake hands and drink a whiskey, but by the time we get on the zoom, you already know a lot about our brand. You understand the pricing, the process. So, you know, there's very, very good things about e-commerce. Um, the real question mark was how do you apply the fitting um, online? And that's what we struggle with today is getting people to understand or trust how we do it because it's so novel and so different like we're the only clothier you could say that doesn't take any measurements at all right um, so we we're in this battle of being a little more forward thinking on the process and having to explain that all the time you know uh, and then the i think it makes you on a league on your own because um i don't think what you're doing anybody has done it before or like especially the way you're doing it mm -hmm. is so unique um, and it could, in fact, solve the, the question whether custom is scalable, which I think everybody tries and everybody asks. Like they try mm -hmm. multi-layer marketing concept, which is a whole shit show. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They try ready to wear MTM, mm -hmm. uh, you know. So I mean, there's, there's two ways. There's basically two ways to scale the business, right? It's you're Tom James and you hire people all over the place. Yeah. Um, and that has its own problems, right? Like you're yeah. essentially just buying a suit from the person that shows up at your door and you don't know anything about what they know. 
Yeah. Um, so it's a really hard problem with consistency. Yeah. Um, or you're traveling or you're a traveling guy, you go to people's hotels or you open up shops. Right. Yeah. But none of those are actually as convenient in my opinion, because like, I don't like to book appointments, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's once you're fit, then you're good. Right. That's the whole goal of ours. We'll spend time with you, make sure we get the fit right. Look at all your fitting pictures, read all your feedback, make all the pattern adjustments on the back end, deliver that first one, make sure it's perfect, tweak it if we need to, update your pattern. And then you're just in the system, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're following us on Instagram. You can just one click, boom, I want that one. And it's going to come just for you the way you like it, right? So the answer to this, whether it works or not, whether it's scalable is not so much the growth of sales, but more the repeat business, right? Like mm -hmm. we got guys who've spent, you know, 50, 60, 70 K with us, right? And every month we drop something new and they're adding it to their wardrobe. And now we're taking it a step further of helping those guys put everything together, mm. right? That was another place where actually the in-person experience broke down was like, there wasn't that stylist service, right? You make a great suit for the guy, but then he leaves and then he doesn't really know how to wear the suit. He wears it with a white shirt and a, and a Navy tie once in a blue moon, never wears the jacket as a, as a sport coat, never wears the pants as like a cool casual look and just doesn't get the most out of it. So yeah. the, the online system allows us not only to track his wardrobe and his fittings, but to make sure he's getting the most out of it. So if you're following our content and you're seeing the garments pop up again, you're like, oh, wow, look, I have that. It goes with this, this, and this, and this, and this, right? So, so I was actually just going to say your, your content library that you're, you're constantly adding to, but is, is very rich already. Mm. So for someone who, like you said, these guys who are buying a piece from you every month, right? Like you drop a new piece, they're, they're picking it up. They've kind of got that content library to go back to and sort of get that style advice or that style information that you've curated over mm -hmm. years, since 2009. And that's what we'd like to get like much better at, right? It's, um, I'm sorry. I mean, that's kind of, to be honest, that's kind of the struggle, right? Like we're, we're very, very good content people. Like we could do that all day long, but the, the business itself kind of takes that over, right? Like our goal is to be the best at content. The reason we launched products was to fund the content, right? Mm -hmm. That was the whole idea. It was like, instead of having to make money from other people's product and change our editorial voice for them, what if we could just make the exact product we want for this dope editorial, go shoot it and really build that out. The problem is we're four years in and so much of this brand building, business building is like technology driven, yeah. um, is factory management driven, is customer service driven. And I end up spending like, especially because we're so young and we just switched factories, which is a whole nother mess. Um, you know, right now is a crazy time for, for everyone's business, but you end up not having the time you wish you had to make that editorial content. So we haven't even gotten to the point where the, the fittings, the customer service, the factory, the data flow is all like really well oiled so that we can just like pump out new products and content, you know? I mean, so like speaking about the factory part, um, you have um, you've made sure from the get-go that it's about made in America, made in America. And mm -hmm. uh, do you think like with your uh, such a unique um, approach to, to custom, um, do you think made in America helps or do you sometimes wish you didn't start off with made in America and uh, sometimes go question. with China or Italy option? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, now that we've switched factories, it's very clear to me that that was the right decision. Um, like our garment is unbelievable now. It's, it's almost fully handmade, full canvas. I mean, it's, it's a world-class garment. And like we've taken such a massive step up and we've met a factory that shares our vision, is small and family owned. And I can go in there and say, this is the coat we want to do this season. This is a look like I've I hand shaped the lapels. I drew the collar curves. We came up with all the parts of the suit is exclusively AOS. Mm. Previously for the first four years of the business, um, we had a big time struggle with Brooks or with, uh, with Southwick. 
Mm. And for a long time, I questioned that decision because Southwick was so poorly run and lacked so much vision that we couldn't get any of the things that we wanted to, to accomplish done. Right. The point of being in America was not like, I'm not even American. Right. So it's not about like a yeah. nationalist message. Yeah. It's like, if I can communicate with people on a day to day to day basis, go to the factory and get, eventually we want to get cameras in the factory showing your garment being made. Right. Mm. So it's, it's about the transparency and because we're being so innovative with the process, just really being on the same page at every step of the flow. And at Southwick, it was nearly impossible just because they're such a behemoth. They're owned by Brooks Brothers has all their own problems. Like we had to pick one model and stick with it. And we couldn't change the details. We couldn't do a soft shoulder with a full canvas, for example. Mm. So it was, it was like, oh, I didn't realize that this American factory would be so limited and just frankly so poorly run that we'll get the basics that they currently offer but they're not even going to listen to us when we say hey we need to you know api connect to your factory we need yeah. to make this change we need to make this change and you know i years later you find out they're in serious trouble uh, and they were going to go under even before covid hit so thankfully i, I saw that coming found what is probably the last one of the few yep. American factories that I have to actually yeah. hand making garments yeah. again. Thankfully they love us. We have a great relationship. We share the vision. So, um, and at the right time too, where they're willing to uh, change and, and uh, be able to do more uh, things because traditionally a lot of American factories always were stick to their, whereas terrible. the Chinese were a lot more fun and they wanted to do whatever you want to do, they'll do it. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's like night and day, man. If you compare American factories are so outdated. I mean, we didn't even have Wi-Fi on the factory floor at South. <laughs> you know, they're using computers that are like, you know, like the, the original big boy, you know, CRT monitors like and unbelievable. Like not even the ones I used in elementary school, you know, um, like I saw like DOS uh, discs hanging. <laughs> it was like, Oh my gosh, you know? Um, and they're so massive that like, having that big like let's say you were going to update the system well because there's so many parts to it right they have a big ready-to-wear business they have brooks brothers they have all these other customers mm. like we would we would submit an order to them through our our system is all custom made right like we did a really good job building an efficient way for us to do fittings but when we send the order to them it's like they print it out and then they take a red pen to it and then they pass it to another person who keys it into one system who pass it to another person who double checks something. And then it finally gets to the pattern room where that's a mess. So like it would take oftentimes two weeks just to get to the cutting floor from the time that we mm. submitted the order. Mm. So it was just like, there were some dark days where I was like, and a lot of battles between us and them. And just like, how is it this bad? You know? Uh, so to answer your question, yes, Asian factories are far and away more technologically advanced and can do a lot more customization mm -hmm. but for what we're getting at this handmade factory um there's just no one doing it quite that quality with that vision right mm -hmm. like the yeah. thing about like a factory like you know everyone uses like trans for example yeah or even like trinity or whatever you know yeah like you got a like million options yeah yeah red collar i mean i've seen them all been there you know they have a, a great manual has every single option you could want right you can play designer put your colorful lining in your piping all that stuff but if you want something unique you can't do it right mm. so you can pick from tons of options and connect it in a really cool way but if i wanted to do a, a peacoat with an oversized collar and, and fur on the inside of the pockets to keep your hands warm they're not going to do that you know so I finally found a partner that's going to let us be closer to a designer brand mm. with the fittings as opposed to like, Hey, we offer the service of measure your guy and pick all these options. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about it because, you know, on one hand you're, you're talking about it, the technology side, right? The, you know, the, the process driven technology, the, all, all of the web stuff, the backend data tying into APIs stuff. I'm really familiar with from, from the tech world. Right. And then on the yeah, other side, yeah. you know, the design side is the, you know, chief designer for dapper villains. I, 
you know, I often have to look at it from that design perspective. How do things fit? How do things work? What's the function? Jay has to reel me back sometimes from my engineer mindset that's overbuilding. <laughs> but, you know, in, in the tech world, you know, and I think any business that's e-commerce that's so tech heavy, you know, you see that there's generally a big push for, you know, venture capital funding because you need capital investment for technology, for growth, which dilutes your cap table. But then yeah. also having been through that myself, I know the flip side of that is you're now under extreme pressure from outside forces to get traction, get growth, make sales. Why were you only 1.1 and not 1.3% growth in the last 30 days? Right. So have right. you had to go through that part of the journey as you transition from, you know, blog and brand and advertising to product and very technology driven and essentially bleeding edge in the industry? Um, from a fundraising standpoint, thankfully not. I mean, that's my worst nightmare, right? Yeah, like, it should be. A lot, like I'm looking at this thing with like a, a 30 year timeline, mm -hmm. right? Or, yeah. or even longer than like, I'm going to be doing this forever. Like I started this in college. I'm 33 now. I'm still doing it. And we're just four years into what we want to accomplish. We just switched our entire fact. Like a lot of ways we're restarting, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for someone to understand that, and the trajectory, the long-term vision of it, you're, you're never going to find a venture capital guy who's going to believe in that, right? Like at most, they'll give you a couple of years to make a dollar, you know? And that's yeah. why everyone, that's why all these brands suck, you know? Like everyone wants to make money. The product's terrible. You want to be bonobos? Okay, cool. Make some money and make some more bullshit product that no one really likes, you know? Um, so, you know, as fundraising goes, we were pretty much bootstrapped. We raised some friends and family, tiny money when we got started. And we've been operating off sales, you know, and that's obviously the gift and the curse, you know, like, yeah. especially right now, no one's buying anything right now. It's, it, it's never been worse. You know, like people are not, but you must be house. super ahead of the curve though, because like a lot of like, I mean, I deal with a lot of clothier. So a lot of people talk about the articles of style model, uh, which they all try to do, uh, because, the situation is forcing them to do and yeah, they're like, yeah. Hey, maybe the articles of style model is the way we need to do it. Now, of course you're 10 steps ahead. Um, don't you find that um, your business is more or more equipped for this period of time where you can't really. Yeah. Do I mean, we're, we're doing better than like, I talked to a lot of people in the industry too. And, and a lot of people are at like, you know, 30% of their normal sales for this time of the year or they're at zero. You know, mm. like we said before, if you rely on stores, people walking in the door, or you got to go see them in person, you're the coronavirus thing just totally screwed you. You know, there's, yeah. there's nothing, there's no way to do it. Yeah, you can try to pivot into what we're doing. Um, we're still pivoting four and a half years in, right? Mm. So it's mm. it's not something you get off the ground in a matter of months at all. Yeah. Um, if you're really slick with it, you can do it via email. You can find a back channel to do it but you're ultimately your sales channel is going to be the same, right? You're still calling the same guys, still have the same amount of customers. Like we have a, an online platform that is, let's call it, you know, safe and you don't have to co see, you don't have to see anyone in person, but we also have this whole content driven marketing business that brings people to that website. So if you're pivoting today, you not only have to figure out how I'm going to do the fitting part and track all that data, but also like how am I going to get these people to understand even what they're buying? Yeah. So you can FaceTime with a guy and, and, and do one of these, right? Hey, hey, how about this shirt? And how about this <laughs> suit right here? Yeah, let's do it. You know? And then what, right? Then they have to pick all the details. How do you track all that stuff? How do you do their fittings? How do you do their measurements? When he gets it, how do you follow back up with that? So the, the data management is really the biggest struggle with this business, right? So we, even before we launched four year, four and a half years ago, we had spent two years just developing the flow of data, right? Like that's really the key. It's like when you upload a new fitting, we have to have all that information about that garment, all your historical information, right? That leads up to it. So we have kind of like this, this like map of you as a person and how you like your clothes to fit and which ones have done well, which ones have not done well. And we're kind of constantly improving that. Uh, and that's why guys buy in and continue to buy with us is they know that we're tracking their wardrobe and taking care of them. Mm. So to answer your question, yeah, I think, I think we're doing better probably than most people who are not online. I and mean, we have to be because e-commerce is the only thing popping right now. Um, but the bigger issue is just like people are not going anywhere. 
right? Like you talk to a client, like, dude, I haven't left the house in five months. Uh, so mm. it's like, it's almost weird to sell to that guy. Like, it's almost weird to have to have a Zoom call with someone and try to force them into a garment that he's like, man, I, what am I, where am I going to go with this? You know? Where am I going to go? Where? Like, it's almost yeah. disingenuous. Like, I don't want to be like that guy either, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Although really, your model really with international clients, it should work really, really well then. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, I mean, everyone is, is scared right now and tucking their money away and staying home no matter what country you're in. So, uh, and our products aren't cheap either. Right. So like you have to, you have to want it and need it and, 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 and see value in it, you know? So, um, like we were on this awesome trajectory, like we were finally figuring everything out and then the factory blew up and then COVID hit. Um, and it's just like, damn, like this is what entrepreneurship is, you know, it's like, yeah. you're, you're, you're just constantly, day by day trying to trying to rethink the same problem you know yeah and the hardest part is probably keeping the team uh like i mean your your team definitely is super talented everybody is on point like the con that's how you have great contents like the photography mm -hmm. is on point the model the mm -hmm. you know the whole nine yards so Although I have one question for you. So before before you became uh, your own um, brand, right? Uh, from your journalistic side of it, and um, when you were when you were interviewing a lot of tailors and stuff, and uh, you moved to uh, becoming your own brand. Mm -hmm. um, during I, I see you have like a little show as well where you interview a lot of tailors. Um, mm -hmm. Do you still do that? Like. Um, not really. I mean, this again, it kind of comes back to like the, the, the coronavirus thing is just throwing us for such a loop that like the content has kind of fallen to the backside. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the, the, the biggest struggle. That, that is what is the most annoying part of this whole thing, right? You start a monetization plan in order to be able to write and shoot the content that you really believe in. And then the monetization plan just gets thrown around a million different ways and sucks up all your energy. So now you're either publishing content you're not that proud of because you're rushing it out um, or you're just not shooting much at all. You know, like I don't even like our own content. It's all filler, you know, like we don't actually get time right now to this. I'm going to design this product. This is the model. This is location. This is how we're going to shoot it. This is what the story is about. You know, right now it's basically we're taking our e-commerce photos that we have to shoot for the, for the product pages and like spinning them into some type of editorial, like a one piece, 10 ways or something, you know, and that's not the type of content that I really want to do. Uh, but a content business like running a magazine is totally different than running a clothing shop. Mm. And our mm -hmm. clothing shop is like very particular and very unique and requires a ton of heavy lifting, especially from the factory integration side, which we're just like redoing again. So content right now is just like whatever we can get out, you know? Um, I can't wait to see your, um, like once uh, shit is back to normal, which I hope uh, it will happen soon. Um, your story about the new factory, your story about like when you're on the road again, um, yeah, I think, I think you know, honestly, I think alive. we're, we're probably a year away from, because this, like, I never knew if we would get there with South Lake, right? Because mm. I had to battle with those guys just to get the smallest little, hey, we need to get tracking numbers. Right? Like that was, that was a, that took me like a year and a half to get that done, you know? Mm -hmm. So for, for years, we couldn't send a tracking number to our customer about their package, you know, like, you know, how maddening that is. And now like with the new shop, like they're much, they're just more on the ball, right? They're, this is all they do. Um, they have a younger generation of the family that's very tech driven. They're all about transparency and we're kind of like combining our minds on the same project. So for the first time, actually the, the garment is night and day better, but the operations is where the real value to me is because we will be able to automate things like status updates. Hey, today we're cutting your fabric. Hey, today we're setting your sleeves. Hey, today we're working on your pick stitching. It's going to ship in three days. It's going to ship in two days. Like that is so critically important to scale. Um, and I actually think we'll be able to get there. Um, 
but it's going to take time. So I'm, I'm my home, you know, and the coronavirus thing with sales is like, you know, you, you have to think about how you're going to make sales right now. Like the, I used to wake up in the morning and have four sales, you know, through the night you'd wake up and drink a coffee. Like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. This is awesome. You know? Um, and now it's not right now you have to call the guy, zoom with him, really get to know him, really put the squeeze on, explain the value. Um, and frankly, in order to stay alive, I think that's what we got to do. Um, because the like content marketing, bring the guy to the website, he stumbles over to the shop, he reads how it works and he buys passively. That has like all but dried up, you know? Um, so it's not only once we get the operations going in the next six months to a year, it's also like the market's got to be there. So you don't have to like extra push for every sale. Um, and provided all those things happen, I do have a roadmap for say, okay, all of this is just going to work and we'll be able to like get super, like my job will be like editorial director again. Right. Mm -hmm. And we'll be able to get the cool, you know, we want to get this cool celebrity guy or this whatever, and we want to shoot him in this way. We want to go to this old location and tell this cool story. The storytelling is ultimately our, like what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it, it, it takes a lot of effort to tell that story in a very cool editorial way that like really lands, you know? So I, I, I agree. I, it'll, it'll be a, an awesome day for me when I can just think about what stories we're telling and the translation to sales is already something that's working, you know? It, it's tough that that's the new paradigm for you, but I kind of going back to Jay's comment about everyone's trying to look at the articles of style model and copy it. Right. And I think you just kind of gave away your secret sauce and it's the execution and the work. Right. And, you know, if you, everyone could look at what you do and say, okay, articles of style did this, I'm going to do that. But if they're not executing the way you're doing, they're not out there zooming with customers, getting to know them, you know, working with factories, putting in that time. Now I think the lack of execution is again, I, I saw this in the startup world. I see this, you know, in the design world at universities everywhere. It's if you execute, if you execute well and you put the work in, success comes a lot easier, surprisingly. And Mm -hmm. though this might be a tough time, the things you're saying are like, you're putting in that work that everyone else is just sitting at home and like, Oh, COVID is killing my business. And you're, Mm -hmm. you're sitting at home. You're like, okay, I got to zoom at eight. I've got to zoom at nine. You know, what do Mm -hmm. I got to do? How do I still I mean, in the Dapper Villains podcast, which is yeah. you know, the best, best decision you made <laughs> today. Highlight of my day, you made. You're welcome. You're very welcome, sir. <laughs> yeah. It is your honor. You're here. No, I'm kidding. Our listener <laughs> will be super excited that uh, they came on. No, dude, do, do you know you were, you know, when I was a door-to-door salesman and um, I, I posted a photo was? in Vietnam. I, I still am. Um, but um, Wait, but you sound serious? No, no, selling fabrics. I'm a fabric guy. That's right. That's I'm, right. I knew that. Yeah, yeah. I'm co-owner of Huddersfield Textiles and uh, four generations <laughs> hey, old fabric. I'm gonna okay. build, I'm gonna build Huddersfield. You, uh, listen, 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 listen. So I was, I um, Hold on, what's I was in. What? Oh, he, he's going time. to bring my books. Oh, oh thank oh, you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, you you see, you see how much my clients learn. Dana was like, "Don't talk about your fabric brand. Don't oversell." Otherwise, I gotta hold start. on. I gotta. <laughs> gonna get the dust off that old fabric boy. Gotta open that this one. guy. I was gonna compliment him. I started. Now I don't like this guy. Can shut this shit? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, no. You were the first guy in New York before it was even an idea that I could go to America and uh, you know do so well there. Um, you were the first guy who who dropped me the text that said, um, "Come to my store." I'm not sure if it was you, if, uh, if you look too puzzled, just take it. And uh, I want to thank you. <laughs> Maybe no, it like was fucking Wes. No, I, I, I like what you're doing, man. I, I think like everything else, um, it's a horribly outdated industry. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's doing something that's cool and modern, um, I'm looking at, you know, mm-hmm. like there is a young crop of guys that, that are trying to carry it on. Um, but the vast majority, whether it's the fabric design or the factory, as we spoke about set up, it's just so there is no vision for how it carries forward. Right. Like even the tailors, pattern makers, these guys are going to die, dude. And there isn't that many apprentices. Right. So um, you have to champion the young guys that are doing something cool. 
like how many people have a dapper villains that that name alone right is yeah. cool modern but it's about old school menswear at the same time like look sure. at how you guys are dressed right mm-hmm. so like you gotta i champion anyone who's doing something cool in this industry because there's just not that many of them you know mm-hmm. um so you've been on my like, radar man i'm you know first time i heard about rich fresh was through you you know and uh rich like fresh there's so many example. guys yeah, there's so many guys that you pick up and uh, you just talk about them uh, wholeheartedly and uh, openly without like oh, thinking, oh, this guy might be competition or do I have to ben- do I have anything to benefit from him right. uh, in order to speak his name on my platform? I mean, see, I, the benefit for me is just the industry doesn't die. Mm. You know, yeah. it's the same for like, us. I, f- I feature guys like Rich. I feature guys like Boswell, whoever it is, not because... I get nothing from that. It's promotion for them, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm not worried about them guys being competition. I'm worried about sweatpants becoming the world. And these cool guys that are cool tailoring designers just don't thrive enough to keep the consumer excited about it. You know, like we need all hands on deck right now. And if mm-hmm. you're cool and you're hip and young people think you're cool and you're in suits, God bless you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, the next step is like modernizing the product itself. And I think Rich yeah. does a really good job of that, right? He's doing like custom track suits and neoprene. Mm. That's forward thinking, right? Yeah. That, that can show a model for where things can go in the future. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, so to, to answer your, your first question about like, I don't even remember what it was. No, it was it was just a compliment uh, to uh, to make you feel uh, amazing. No, I do. I was just <laughs> wanted, uh, just wanted to no, thank well, you. No, we were we were talking about uh, like the work it takes. Yeah, and uh, effort like, execution, execution, and the and the copycatness. I mean, like we've seen a lot of people try to like copy our model. Yeah, and it, it's it's frankly like you got to do what you do. You yeah. know, like if you're copying someone's model, or or business plan. There's only, it's only going to go so long as you're committed to someone else's vision, you know, like if it's not naturally in you, what you want to do, what you feel good doing, you're, you're not going to do well at it. Right. And it, it just takes unbelievable persistence to 100%. build any business. And if you don't like thoroughly believe that you're the guy doing the thing you're supposed to do, you're just eventually going to, you're just going to give it up, you know? But it's hard not to take inspiration from you, though. Like, I mean, I'm starting a store and uh, I, I told my partner straight up, like, yo, you need to look at this company. This, this is the most beautiful website I've ever seen. I looked at hundreds of websites. And, and like, there, there are things that, okay, it, when somebody paved the way, you got to go see that and understand. Absolutely. But then, Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you don't pick and choose from what, you know, but you don't yeah. say we're just going to start doing that now. Yeah, right? because like you have no idea the challenges that we have to go through just to make that website look that good. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So like you're just gonna hit these stumbling blocks. Like, oh shit! I bet they didn't have this problem. Yeah, we fucking yeah. did have that problem. Yeah, and we yeah. had the next one, and we had the next one, and we had the next one. You know. Yeah, you you clearly spent a lot of time on your UI UX design and flow through. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean this is like the eighth version of our website. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those aren't cheap. So like you end up spending most. The tech piece, and you'll appreciate this, is just like, it's the hardest part. It's a monster. It's the hardest part. Not even the front. And now, so what you don't even know is that the reason we relaunched our website in July of this year is because we had never been on an e-commerce platform before. So as an engineer, you'll appreciate this. When When we first went from blog to clothing shop with this fitting idea, hmm. There was no way of doing it yet with like, you know, Shopify, Magento, any of these out of the box, you know, uh, e-commerce websites. There was no way to build a Shopify website that would allow a customer to upload fittings to their account, right? So I had this battle with my, my tech guy at the time where for me, it was really important that the fitting process was on the website. It was like a contained yeah. thing. Like the instructions were there. You knew exactly how it was working. And for him, it was like, dude, you should just build a Shopify website and do all the fittings via email and just make sure you got proof of concept, make sure it works. You know, I was like, how am I going to uh, capture that data? How am I going to use that data? So I, I stuck with my guns. I was like, man, no, fuck that. Let's build what we need to build. 
So we built the entire website from scratch. The, the, the checkout, the product pages that like we built, a, you know what I'm talking all about. All the API calls, everything was. All of it, all of it. Every single thing you saw on our website for the first four years was custom made by one or two guys. Um, yeah. What you don't realize, and you would realize, but most people wouldn't, and I didn't, is that it's a, Shopify has so many incredible tools to it, right? Like yeah. I had to spend, we had to build like a fucking international shipping calculator. Right. Yeah. We had to build a tax calculator. We had to build all kinds of little dumb shit that you don't realize you don't have. And even when we built all the stuff we needed, we didn't have any data. We couldn't tell you what sell through data was like. We couldn't tell you how many new accounts there were. Oh, it was it like correlating on the back end yet. It was just not all connected. And we couldn't even run a marketing campaign because there would be no way to track the effectiveness of the marketing. So we today till to today, we've never spent a dollar on ads. Not because we didn't want to, because we literally, it just would be waste. Because you couldn't we know what was. Yeah. So now we shift to Shopify. So in addition to tra transitioning factories, which is a nightmare, we're also transitioning all of our website data, which is another mm -hmm. nightmare. Um, but for the first time now, we have a Shopify platform uh, where we can start to do a whole lot of cool, fun things like automatic emails, marketing campaigns, all the things you would think that an e-commerce brand or business would be able to do hmm. uh, we just sort of recently unlocked um, but that struggle of building your own you know full end-to-end -end website uh, is the type of thing that you wouldn't realize we had to do and you would probably if it wasn't like your whole fucking driving force to get it done you would just say this is not this is not and you did it bootstrapped yeah I mean, and you did it bootstrapped that's yeah, it would literally be like, yo, let me get these sales up and mm -hmm. then let me go pay the fucking tech contract guy. Yeah. Like that was the day. It was like, boom, okay, we made the sale, boom, do it, you know? That sucks. So there's no Saudi billionaire behind your brand at all? There's well, no here's Saudi a, that sucks behind. and it's tough, but 30 years from now, like you said, you have a 30-year plan. You're going to really appreciate the fuck out of that because, you know. I think so. I hope so. equity that you built up is going gonna, is gonna to come, you know, through with Compound. I mean, there's, there's, there's no way I've seen that you can do it this way and have a 30 year vision and have an investor like that. Mm. It's just, who's going to go for that? Unless you, know? you got a rich uncle. Yeah. Unless Yo, it's but family. Dan, okay. it says, um, Indochino did it right. Like with some investors and stuff. And like that guy, um, suit supply, um, started out small and probably some, a lot of investors. And uh, now of mm -hmm. course, like having an investor for sure, uh, it sucks the life out of your brand, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you probably have to hold. Well, I would, I would say I would say it sucks out the long term vision more so, right? Like suit supply, right? They had a huge boom, right? Yeah. Open up tons of stores, make tons of product, do tons of marketing. Mm -hmm. That is the investor money coming in, right? Yeah. Problem is when you do that now, if you want to pivot, right? If you want to change, like I talked to a guy who ran e-commerce at Ralph Lauren, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, dude, I love what you guys are doing for the fittings. And I was like, well, why don't you do it? He's like, it would be impossible, right? I have 400 tech people all around the world that work for us. Our website's translated into 40 languages. And I got sales numbers I got to hit. So if I introduce a content article in the checkout flow or something, and that takes away from people buying and our numbers go down, I'm in the hot seat, yeah. right? So like you can't get huge and then stay innovative, right? So like... Mm -hmm. The brands you the mentioned, like, I don't consider them very innovative, you know, like, yeah. soup like the David just, ends up becoming the Goliath and then it you stops can't, you can't innovating. Move. And then, yeah, yeah it's it, the world. Our world is changing so fast and everyone's trying to figure out how to modernize it hmm. that if you're going to get the investor and go big, you're just going to do what's working now. Yeah. in a big way and you'll probably make the suit spots because making tons of money I'm not I'm not yeah. mad at him i just it's just not there's nothing really innovative there right it's, it's just a different like men's vision. Where, it's, it's basically men's warehouse with better design right it's a yeah. it's a yeah, retailer sure. around the same price with different fabrics and different design you know there's nothing that's uh 10 years from now and, and maybe they do find you know uh, a, a newer kind of product line for themselves but um I, sh I shouldn't say you can't find the investor. It's just like really, really, really difficult and time consuming to find and the risky. person that says, yeah. And if they don't get along with you, 
and they own a big percentage of your company, like what are you, what are you going to do? You know, mm. you, you just, you risk the, the not seeing it through the way you wanted um, or having to just like, you know, do what they say, you know? Now, Dan, I know you have a, a crunch for time. We've got a, a hard stop for you. So I want to transition. I think, no, I, 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 you, you got me, man. We're rolling. I want to transition yeah. real quick into a uh, into these ten questions that we do with all our guests because they they can be fun, or they they can be annoying depending on on what. But I, I'd like to run <laughs> through these with you. And we always start off by talking about fabric. That way, it shuts okay. Jay up for a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if you could only use one fabric for the rest of your life, you know, linen, Huddersfield textiles. Which okay, one sorry. would you pick and why? Uh, have to be wool for sure. Okay. Why, why wool? I mean, it's, I mean, wool is like the super fabric, right? Like wool is very misunderstood. Like you can wear it any time of year. You can wash it a million times. You can shake it out. You can steam it. I mean, you're choosing a linen. I mean, unless you live in Bangkok, like you guys, that would make sense for me. Right. Yeah. Um, so like any season and the performance of wool, like, you know, people think wool is hot or scratchy or it's none of those things anymore. You know, it's, it's actually yeah. the most, versatile it's the, the best fabric you can have man now do, do you have a favorite menswear item my favorite menswear item not really i no. have a watch that i wear every day that's that has kind of sentimental value i have well, that's a few, an accessory like, right well it's not like a jacket a waistcoat a pair of jeans boots um, boxers boxes. i have a lot of <laughs> my lucky boxers <laughs> um things that stick out to me are just things with like sentimental value you know mm -hmm. like i have a few like old ties to my grandpa's past that those mean a lot you know um You're i got right. like i got like my first yeah occasionally i got like my first pair of expensive shoes that like at the time was like all the money i had but like i really wanted them so like mm. those have you know have additional value to me but um it's about the story and the connection, not the, the item. Yeah, I think when you make clothing, you get to the point where, like, you could always make a new piece of clothing. So, like, yeah. yes, some designs stick out, but you just – you start looking at it like a commodity, right? You, like, you know the fabric. You know who made it. You know how it's made. You know you can make it again. So it's not as, like, precious in that way. It's, it's certainly replaceable. Mm. So it's the items that are kind of irreplaceable that I think um, – stick out to me as like my favorite you know a great answer and actually we interviewed a um, politician answer no it's a great that? answer. It's, <laughs> it's about the connection we, we interviewed Carl Murawski um about, about uh just on the show and we asked him that question and he said well if my house was on fire my family was safe i could go back for one item the tweed it would be coat. My articles of style jacket yeah and he's not wrong but that's a, that's that one actually that factory also closed so that coat dude really the boston one yeah massachusetts yeah damn dude this whole thing has been really i mean we lost suit factory in massachusetts shirt factory in north carolina tie factory in long island city and coat wow. factory in, in new bedford dude that was on my bucket list man they were so nice they kept inviting me i didn't i, I didn't go yet but yeah i mean jeff rose the guy who runs the place um I think he's making masks now. He's, he's still trying to make something, but um, this whole, you know, he, he's a fantastic garment maker. Mm. Um, but I think this whole thing just like, he's an old cat too. And it's just like, it's hard to keep pivoting like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the garment quality from them was world-class, man. They were making quilted outerwear. We, we did like fur linings and, and hooded you know parkas and all kinds of cool stuff waterproof cashmeres and it was it was fun while, like, while i was working with southwick with super super limited design it provided me with like a whole another way of thinking mm. uh, and had it not been for the outerwear at that time we would have been a much more boring brand you know mm. yeah now the next question is one of our favorites and always one of our our biggest surprises and you see this, you know, especially here in Asia, we see it. And I always think it's a little weird, but I know it's popular in New York. You know, a lot of people love denim. Do you think it's ever okay when people wear denim on denim on denim on denim on denim? So, you know, jeans, course, denim underwear, shirts, Canadian, jackets, you forgot? 
Yeah, it's the Canadian tuxedo, man. The Canadian yeah. tuxedo, yeah. You're going to black tie. That's the way to go. <laughs> I don't know why that look gets such a bad rap. I mean, I can think of so many iconic people and iconic photos, like Ralph Lauren, for example, who've worn that denim yeah. shirt with jeans, and it's just like, what's wrong with that? That's like the original cowboy, you know? It's like, yeah, I, the, the days, like, that being looked at as bad fashion is, like, almost ironic given how people dress today, you know? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you that, what, though, when I see people doing it here in Bangkok and they're rocking like 26 ounce jeans with a 26 ounce <laughs> denim jacket and it's 120 degrees, 100% humidity, Oof. I often Oof. question if it's a good call. <laughs> I mean, I will say that denim is a super heavy fabric that's really made for like winter. Mm. Uh, so, that's like, seasonality is always. Exactly, exactly. I mean, seasonality in menswear is kind of like is core, right? Like that's one thing you got to understand. I think if, if you're mm. dressing for the season, I don't think pairing things that are too similar is really the issue. Nice. Now as a clothier yourself, obviously you look at its style and you said you went back and studied menswear clothing design, you know, and a lot of menswear gets linked back to certain styles of tailoring. So British, Italian, you know, the classic mm -hmm. American style of tailoring. Do you have a, a preference? Mm -hmm or one that you favor? Well, we lean American, obviously, you know. Damn um, right, America. <laughs> America. Yeah, I think, I think that American style has like lost its way, you know? Mm. Like, mm. we used to be really good dressers and there was a dress code and there was a code of ethics and, um, you know, there's a lot of American things, right? You look at like, even like what we just talked about, the denim, denim, right? The jeans, the denim shirts, the tweed jackets, the chinos, the, what penny loafers, the boat shoes, like all these things are in, in some ways, a big polo coat, stuff like that. There was an American tradition of like sportswear and menswear for a long time. And um, I think as like hip hop grew and streetwear grew and more and young people kind of just started wearing that stuff. Um, the American aesthetic isn't really well defined. Like people today, I don't think even really know what American heritage style really is, you yeah. know? So it is obviously we make in America and that's a big part of our heritage, but also we want to kind of redefine what the American man is like our clients are predominantly American, right? So like it wouldn't seem right to like sell them a British garment made in, in America. We're trying to go back to what is actually American heritage, like even the soft shoulder, right? Like that was very much an American thing. Um, so yeah, we try to be as American as possible. It's a global world. Everything's influencing everything. Like we have a Milanese buttonhole on our lapel, for example. That's an Italian thing. Uh, we use a ton of Italian and English fabrics because you can't really find decent um, American fabrics. And if you can, they're just like blue and gray and basic. Mm. Um, so it's, it's no garment is, well, maybe in Italy, maybe in England, they have fully just, you know, all made in the same place. But um it's certainly influenced by a lot of different things, but we're trying to stick it to like an updated version of classic American heritage. Mm, nice. Great answer. And uh, also like, I love the commitment to the, the heritage style and like that, that made in America aesthetic, you know, and like we live in Thailand, we're made in Thailand. Right. And, uh, but mm -hmm. with a very heavy Americana influence. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously Jay's Mexican. So a lot of like, Mexican, uh, there. <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of that stuff is like, it flows really well with our message too, right? Like American style is not very flashy. And by nature of that, it's a little more rugged, right? You think of like tweed and denim yep. and heavy cotton and canvas, stuff like that. And this is like super durable and super wearable. Right. So there's a sustainability message behind our brand, nice. which is which is more about like how long and how often are you going to wear this garment?